Well. Come on, Dora, shut up. Yep, welcome back for episode two of Watching Plant Sex in the Woods. This time, I failed. I failed two botanizing trips in a row. So I didn't fail completely, um, but I went out two times to some bogs and wetlands in the search, the, the desperate pursuit of two species of orchids, um, Platanthera ciliaris and Platanthera, hold on, it's Blepo flag something or else. I can't remember it right now off the top of my head. Uh, see, I'm, I'm messing it up right now too. There we go. Uh, Blepharoglottis, Platanthera blepharoglottis. So it's the fringed prairie orchid, um, and then the orange fringed orchid. I was looking for both of those, and um, each time I went, I went to the right time. It was the right blooming time. It was, uh, you know, the right region. There have been sightings there before, and um, so I did. I, I did everything right. I did my research, but when I went there. I just couldn't find the species itself. I even went on iNaturalist, looked at other observations, went to where those observations occurred. Wasn't there anymore. And I've been, um, I've been pretty bummed about it, you know? When you go out to look for, when you go out to look for a species, a rare species, and you just can't find it, it kind of bums you out, especially because, you know, it's there somewhere. Why can't I find it? And I've been chasing after the quote-unquote white whale for me, Platanthera ciliaris, that orange fringed orchid for, well, a few years now. Ever since I've started to really get into botany, I've seen this plant. I've seen it referenced. I've seen photos of it online. And I've been like, I want, I can't wait to see this orchid in habitat. And I was living in Columbus when I really, really started this. And it just wasn't anywhere near me. It was in the northern and southern parts of the state. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to either wait or make a, a, a trip to one of these regions. And I finally moved up to northern Ohio. And then I just went this, um, this past Saturday, spent from 9 o'clock, drove out starting at 6 Got there at nine and then um, we ended up leaving around five, got home at like eight to nine o'clock at night and just could not find a single species, a single specimen of this. And uh, that white whale still is going um, unfound. So why the hell am I telling you about my failure? Well, failure is important. We wouldn't be anywhere in science if we did not have failure. It hurts to fail. It really, really hurts to fail. And it can make you feel not good enough. Like, you, like you're like you not anything like the other major contemporaries of your time. Um, or just that, you know, this isn't for you. It shouldn't be for you. You're just not good at it. But everybody fails. Scientists fail all the time. 
and they learn from those failures. We wouldn't have gotten light bulbs if, um, well, fuck Edison. I'm not going to make that analogy, actually. Um, but, you know, scientists make um, hypotheses for the reports, for the studies, and then they go do the test, and they sometimes will think, okay, yep, we're going to observe this. Um, it's been observed so many times, and they go to run the experiments, and it just doesn't occur that way. Each time they do the, the, the test, it just doesn't occur that way. And sometimes that breaks open new doors in science. So by failing, sometimes you get this clarity that you'll never get otherwise. So I'm desperately searching for that clarity right now of, I didn't find this orchid in its peak bloom time. Um, I'm not going to be able to go out there again this year during its bloom time. So what's my clarity? I don't know what my clarity is yet, but I'm going to find it. For all of you out there who may be listening to this and are like me, starting their journey into either botany or maybe it's bird watching, mycology, um, whatever sort of natural studies or wildlife um, studies that you're trying to get into, even if it's just like going hiking in the woods, you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to look for a species, a bird, a mushroom, some, some fossils, whatever, and you're just not going to find it. And it's going to kill you a little bit. But don't let that dissuade you. Because we got it. We'll get there eventually. We're going to find it. And while I didn't find this orchid, I found so much else while it was there. I took so many great photos. I found some blazing stars, Liatris, the genus is Liatris, um, being swarmed by butterflies. I'd never seen Liatris in its native habitat before, and I found um, two different species, the dense uh, dense blazing star and then the, um, I think it's called the round blazing star. What are those two genus species names? It's like Liatris spicata. That's the dense blazing star. And then the other one that is... Cylindrical blazing star, Liatris uh, cylindracea, or sometimes known as the dwarf blazing star. They're both extremely cool. They're both asters. I covered them briefly in the game that I played in the last podcast. Seeing them right after that was really nice. I got to see our eastern prickly pear in a sand dune, um, which was so cool. Just seeing it sit there. <laughs> the cactus in the middle of Ohio not just Ohio, northern Ohio, near the Great Lakes, so where it freezes over winter pretty heavily. And it's doing fine. It's pretty wild. Didn't get to see a hognose snake, though, so I'm a little sad about that. I will eventually, but hognose snakes are super cool. Um, if you haven't seen one or don't know what they are, I learned about them just, like, last year. They're a type of snake who does not like to fight. That's like their last resort. They will do anything to not fight. They might puke up their meal. They might uh, they might shit themselves. 
uh, to get you to not want to eat them. Or they might play dead. And they do this quite dramatically where if you keep pestering it, it will, uh, it will um, <laughs> like writhe and writhe and roll over till it shows its belly and flop its tongue out dramatically like, I'm dead. Oh, you don't want to eat me because I stink now and I'm dead. And then if you like pick it up and turn it over, it will flip its body back and flop its tongue out again. Like, oh, no, I'm dead. See, I'm dead, not alive. Dead. I look dead, so I am dead. Ugh. So I kept walking the dunes just hoping to find one. But, oh, well, you know, there's always next year. Another native that I saw that I talked about last podcast, at least the relative of it, is the greater blue stem. That big grass that occurs in prairie and dunes. That was pretty cool to see. It was much taller than me. I'll post it on my Insta as well, um, along with all these other photos. What else did I see? Jeez, there's so much. Tall bellflowers um, in Campanulastrum. Those are pretty cool. I got some good photos of the really, really long styles. Stigma. They form this like Y shape that hooks down and out. Kind of looks like a fish hook. I need to look into that one and see if there's any reason why it does that. What else? What else? Um, really great picture of a cicada, the Lyric cicada. Uh, Neotibison. Oh my gosh. See, I've, I suck at pronouncing that dead language. Neotibison lyricin. Yeah, that's it. It was singing its song on a branch, hoping to get some mating in before, uh, before it dies this season. And uh, I it just would not let me get close with my um, with my macro lens, and so I was trying to get around this branch to take a photo of it, and it would just hop its way around the branch, and just hold itself there. Every time I went around to its backside, it would be like, "No, I'm gonna go on to the other side of the branch. You can't look at me. Don't look at me. I'm trying to mate. It's not into voyeurism, apparently." <laughs> and. I just was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to take my zoom lens and step 20 feet back. And I got some really great photos of that guy. What else? Culver's root. Um, I just saw that one for the first time. I thought it was black cohosh at first. Um, nope, not black cohosh. This guy's actually in the Plantagenaceae family. So if you... Um, Know that American plantain that occurs in your grass lawns? If you have grass lawns, that guy's a relative of it. And it gets pretty tall and forms these big white branching spikes of flowers. Um, that was pretty cool. Swamp lousewort, Pedicularis lanceolata, member of Orobancaceae, that famous hemiparasite family that parasitizes, um, I think those are mushrooms? Or do they parasitize hard oaks? Hmm... That's another thing I'm going to have to look up. Give me one sec. Okay, yeah, they are partial parasites, sometimes completely parasites of probably tree species, the roots of tree species. So they just tap into them and just um, take some of their sugars and nutrients and stuff like that. Those guys were pretty cool to see. I saw another type of parasite, daughter. It looks like um, you just took brown silly string and covered a plant with it. They suck out nutrients as well. 
They don't really look much like a plant, except they have these tiny, tiny flowers. Um, they don't really produce much chlorophyll or leaves or anything. They just um, send these vines to wrap around the plants and suck out their energy. What else did I see? Saw a monarch caterpillar for the first time. It was eating, there was four of them. They were eating Asclepius tuberosa, the butterfly milkweed. Um, usually they're seen on Asclepius syriaca. Monarchs usually prefer that. So I wonder why it was eating Asclepius tuberosa instead. That I don't know. I'll have to look into it. Uh, what else? What else? Jeez, uh, a whole field of cardinal flowers. Lobelia cardinalis, another plant I talked about last podcast. It was just the whole wetland area filled with them. And there's just spikes and spikes of these bright, bright red flowers. They truly live up to their name. Lobelias are one of my favorite genera of plants. They are in the Asterales order, and they look nothing, nothing like an aster. Like, they they diverged so much, um, so much now that they don't look anything like it. Um, I have to take a break, so give me one sec. Okay, so I'm back. Um, one thing I wanted to go back to was that partial parasite, um, that swamp lousewort, Pedicularis lanceolata. Um, I saw one of its relatives. I saw one of its relatives a while back last year. That one was Pedicularis canadensis, also known as wood betony. Really, really gorgeous plant. It's a partial parasite too. This one has these purple and uh, I think yellowish flowers that form a spiral on these little heads that hook downwards. They kind of look like um, mint flowers. They are in the order, so that does make sense. Um, these guys, Pedicularis canadensis, are partial parasites of many species, um, but particularly tall grasses. Um, they are using conservation measures to reduce tall grasses sometimes, but they are also forming symbiotic relationships with fungus to help gather nutrients. So not only is it a partial parasite, it produces its own chlorophyll, but it also, also forms a symbiotic relationship with fungus to get its own energy. So it's tapping into multiple, multiple different sources to make sure it survives and passes its progeny, passes on its progeny. That's so bizarre. Uh, the Orobankaceae is such an interesting family. I think it even has um, American cancer root, I want to say. Does it have American cancer root? Conopholis americana? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Conopholis americana. So weird. Those are the white little cone-like looking protrusions that come from the soil. Those parasitize oaks, beeches, um, and those are in like earlier spring, like April, May. Oh, another parasite. Oh my gosh. One of my favorites, Monotropa uniflora, the ghost pipes. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures of those somewhere. They're white. They come right out of the ground and they have this little hooked trumpet looking flower that comes 
up and opens usually downwards when they give fertilized to pop upwards. But man, that one was gorgeous. Those guys are parasites of funguses, uh, which parasites of the Russula family of funguses, which are mycorrhizae of beech trees and other trees as well. And so they are parasites of a fungus, which is the symbiote of a tree. Parasites weave these such interesting webs of, of interactions, ecological interactions to get energy. And parasite often gets a negative connotation with them, but they're just trying to get energy too and pass on their DNA. And quite often, more than not, they have some of the most interesting, interesting interactions or are some of the most, the, the coolest plants I've, I find when I'm out. I'm always looking for parasites while I'm out because they're just, life cycles just so interesting. Okay, well, that's, um, that's how my trip to Oak Openings went. I went looking for uh, Platanthera ciliaris and didn't find it, this gorgeous orange fringed orchid, but found a whole bunch of other things that I just rambled on for about maybe 20 minutes now. <laughs> so even if you fail, there's still things that you can count as successes and, and that you learn from. So I wasn't expecting to find all of these organisms. I was hoping to see some of them and I did. Minor successes, minor loss, whatever. So when you go botanizing or go out looking for birds, um, fossils, reptiles, whatever, loss is going to be, or failure is going to be a major theme. You're not always going to get what you want. Sometimes you're just going to be pedestrian at best. So this episode... What I want to talk to you guys about is what is botanizing and what, what do I need to do to botanize? How do I get started? And furthermore, not just botanizing, but how do I get out and start noticing and observing things in the natural world around yourself? Because there is a lot to see out there. And once you start looking, you start noticing and you start asking questions and there's more observations and questions that branch off of that. It's not just one thing. You'll notice one thing and you'll notice an insect on it, maybe a plant that's sitting there and then there's an insect hiding in it and then you start noticing more and more and more and it just kind of branches off from there. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited for it. I might uh, have an interview with uh, another non-expert as well later. And uh, we can uh, all chit-chat about that. So, all right, let's get started, guys. Ready? Break. So what does it mean to botanize? Botanizing um, is, in a sense, just looking at and observing the organisms, um, the plants, in their environment, studying them in their environment, and trying to understand the web of interactions that they have weaved themselves with over over, over uh, evolutionary time. So to botanize is to go out, to look at the plants that are around you. If you're in um, an urban area, what plants are growing in the, the little roadway strips, um, 
or um, growing out of concrete and just trying to understand it. There's environments all around us where plants make their homes and you can learn something from each of them. You can go out to um, just your local metro park, see what you can find, try to identify it. See, uh, maybe there's other organisms that grow together and you can start asking yourself, why are these organisms growing together? So when I started to go botanizing, it really started last year during, uh, <laughs> during coronavirus because I was bored and I was like, you know what? I want to do something with my own time. I'm tired of just sitting around the house. Um, as I'm sure the rest of you were doing something like maybe baking, baking bread, learning how to write or whatever. I went out into ecosystems to look at plants. So it started with me just taking photos of magnolia tree flowers when my wife and I were taking our dog Sophie out into the dog park, which had a whole bunch of magnolia flowers. So I went out with the intention of finding plants and just seeing what was there in early spring. I found bluebells, spring beauties, jack-in-the-pulpits. At the time, I didn't know what most of these guys were. And so I was just like, whoa, there's so much here now I've never noticed before. And I didn't start out with a lot of equipment or camera um, ID book. I just went out with my phone, myself, a walking stick, and my own attitude. So you don't need a lot to start. You just need yourself, your eyes, your mind, or maybe your, your hands, uh, a cane to if you're blind, maybe. What is it like to botanize blind? I'll have to find a blind botanist and ask them. I don't want to make any assumptions. But yeah, you don't need a lot to start. As you go, though, there are some things that make your life a little bit easier and um, give you a greater view of the world that go beyond our own eyesight and our own senses. So helpful things to have once you start getting into botanizing. Hand lens, that's a big one. They are pretty cheap. They can be up to like 20 bucks, but it's a little lens that zooms in on small details. Some of them are really nice and have lights. Some of them are really nice and go like 10 times and a 20 times lens all in the same unit. You can use those to look at small details on flowers, um, trichomal hairs, or whatever, bark, what, whatever, lichens, you know. That's really useful. An ID book. That is really, really, really important. So if you're going to look for plants in the Midwest, you're going to need a book that's specific to the Midwest. Because if you just get a generic book, maybe one from the West Coast, none of those plants pretty much, most of those plants, you're not going to find. They're not going to be there. And you might misidentify. So if you're in the Midwest, a good book that I recommend, Midwest to East Coast, sorry, let me say, Midwest to East Coast, is Lawrence Newcomb's Wildflower Guide. Lawrence Newcomb. Pick up the book. It's from the 1970s. The key that he uses to ID D plants is so easy to understand and use. They give you all the descriptions and identify them or define them for you. 
and it's super helpful to have. And I've beaten my book up so much. It's fallen out of my pockets into mud, into water. I need to get a new one. It's a great resource. I've identified so many plants with that. So you got your hand lens. You've got your ID books. What else? Walking shoes. That's very important. You don't want to go out there and flip flops. Get some hiking boots, um, some waders if you're going into like stream side habitats. Uh, just appropriate footwear. You want to protect your feet and be able to get good traction if you're walking on like talus slopes, so rocky slopes, loose stone. Walking sticks are quite helpful. I use them all the time for various different things to help me balance myself on, on steady ground, to test some ground to see if it's going to hold me, especially if you're in like a bogish habitat. You don't want to just fall through a bog. Um, uh, what else? It's I, I use it to bring plants closer to me that are out of reach just so I can see them up close. It's very useful. Push away spider webs, branches, thorns, whatever. Get yourself a good walking stick. Um, other things to bring with you, water, big jugs of water and food and snacks. Uh, make sure you take your trash out with you. Don't leave it in the woods. Don't be a bad, a bad patron. Um, what else do I carry with me? Binoculars are very helpful. If something's far away, I can kind of see-ish what it is and if I want to go close to it or not. So I don't waste my time walking out there. And if you're a birder, binoculars are a must. So get yourself a nice pair, a decent pair. Okay, what else do I use to botanize? I just got a camera. Cameras are quite helpful. So you don't have to take organisms out of their habitat and make pressings of them. You can just take photos as reference material and to show other people, hey, look at this cool plant or bird or insect or whatever that you found. So get yourself um, a camera or use your phone's camera if it's nice enough and just learn how to take good identifying shots, um, meaning clear images of whatever is your focus. If it's a bird, make sure the bird's in focus and clear. You can see its details. Um, if it's a plant, make sure you're getting the identifying features like the flowers, the stem, the leaves, sometimes the roots, uh, maybe a, a whole plant photo, and then the up-close photos of each individual detail. Those help a lot to identify. And as you go and look at your ID book, you'll notice some things are more important for IDing for certain families, orders, genera, species. So some species might be that, well, okay, the underside of this leaf is a little bit whiter and hairier than some of the other species. So take good photos of those too. What else is good for identifying? I bring specimen jars with me. Um, those are just like pill bottles that I reuse. And I just fill those with, with seeds that I collect to germinate later. You don't want to take all of the seeds of a plant, but just take a few um, and propagate them if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, don't, don't waste that plant's seeds. But if you know how to grow plants from seed and keep them alive, bring some back, germinate them, grow them, and, you know, spread them. Help these plants spread, especially if they're on a restricted site. Gosh, what else? What else? iNaturalist. That's a big one. So whether you are a birder, 
a plant person like me, whatever, iNaturalist is a very, very handy tool. It is an app developed by National Geographic and is used by researchers to track populations and see where they are. And you can take a photo of something. It'll help you identify it based on your local recommendations of other organisms that's seen nearby. And you post it. It's geotagged, so people know where it's at. And you can see others. And it does pretty much any form of life, except for like microbes. So you can take a photo of a plant and you can come back and see where it was and other people can grade it, quote unquote, for research to to identify it and make sure it's actually the species that you said it was. And some researchers might use that to look at where species populations are. So that's an important one. I use that pretty much every time I go out, especially if I can't key something out in my ID book. That can help me out a lot. And now I'm not left in the dark about what the species is. And it also links to Wikipedia, so you can get like blurbs of information about it if you're curious out in the field. So I guess battery packs, external battery packs would be good for like your phone or any like cameras or anything like that, just in case your phone dies. Um, okay, so I've got, got a lot of what I bring. What else? Mm-hmm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I bring like a, a, a little knife if I have to cut something. Um, that's just nice to have. Always bring a pocket knife or something like that. I think that's mostly it. That's mostly what I bring botanizing. You can form your own kits of what you need, but whatever whatever wildlife study that you get into, just you'll, you'll find the little bits and bobbles of things that, that help you along. So as you, as you grow, you're going to develop your kit more and more. You don't have to start out with a lot. You can start small, get bigger. You don't need everything I listed either. Some people prefer different things. So the next big thing that's important is just getting out there, finding areas that interest you, get out there, start making observations, start asking questions, start taking just like good long looks at these organisms. You'll find a lot more than you would expect when you first start. And the more you go along, it's like finding friends. You you see something once and then you're going to remember it. You're going to come across it again and it's going to be like, oh my gosh, it's you again. It's pops up and it's like, oh, I, I recognize your face from 50 feet away and you're here too. Getting out there and just seeing these organisms just opens your mind to the possibilities of what's out there, and you just start recognizing everything. All right, I think I'm done rambling now. Um, I'm going to get to the next part of this episode where I'll be bringing in someone who's a layman in terms of botanizing, botany, and just getting out in nature, whatever nature means to you. This person is my wife, Cassandra Rice. She's been hiking with me for a few years now, and she's been picking up a lot. And it's been wonderful watching her transition from knowing nothing about plants to being able to identify plant families, sometimes plants, and finding her own favorites. So without further ado, my wife, Cassandra. 
So, Cassandra, welcome to my podcast. I think you just called me Cassandra. Cassandra? Cassandra. I, I thought I called you Cassandra. Maybe you're just hallucinating. It's not that type of podcast. No, it's not that type of podcast. There are some plants that'll do that to you, but not ones that we have tra- <laughs> taken today. No. Um, just full disclosure. Although, I have admitted I've taken psychedelics, so... They might not believe me. <laughs> All right, Cass, uh, I know you just woken up from a nap, um, a good midday Sunday nap. But yep, I am very foggy-headed now. Let's do this. Let's do this. So, Cassandra, you're my wife. You've been my wife for I about... I am? Since when? Two years now. <laughs> so, I'd, I'd hope you remember that. Oh, I do. Okay. I do. And in the the five years now that you've known me... Um, I haven't always been out hiking. Not always. You've tried. Yeah. When I was, when we were living in Columbus, those first three years, mm-hmm. um, I, I was kind of a busybody at home. Um, I didn't really go out much and neither did you with me because we weren't doing anything besides going and getting drunk in bars. Okay. To be fair, we weren't going to bars our freshman year. We were more focused on playing cards and... Getting drunk in the dorms. <laughs> I won't admit to anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so we met in college our very first day. Um, it's sweet. We've been together ever since. And Yeah, I guess I love her. <laughs> um, and the rest is kind of living history. In the past year since the coronavirus pandemic started... I've been going out hiking, and you've been coming with me mm-hmm. some of the time. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of reluctant at first. Yeah. A little bit. You didn't start as a kid going out in the woods much. Is that correct? That That is very correct. I was one of those kids who always wanted to stay home and read her books. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, you didn't really go out into the woods much, play in the woods. No. Um, you didn't have a garden either? No, I actually, so we kept moving from rental to rental, so we never actually had the opportunity to have a garden. Yeah. So, and we always lived in, you know, suburbs or in cities that weren't exactly safe for us to go outside. So it it wasn't really something that we did. We didn't really leave the house much just for more safety purposes. Right. So, I mean, it's hard to to garden or go out into the woods when there's not really woods around or... Yeah. Or a place to garden. So your experience with quote unquote nature was more towards when I came along. Yeah. Like yeah. I went to the occasional metro park growing up, but most of the time, yeah, we stayed inside. So you you probably say before we met your relationship with nature was um at arm's length. Yeah, you stay out there, I'll stay in here. Like I, I'm not a big fan of bugs. And uh, mm, mm, my relationship with bugs is still a little, like, not not the greatest, but it, it's gotten better since I met you. I let I let them live. It's just I try and take them outside now. Yeah, it's not like honey, come come kill the spider or, um, oh gosh, what are those go- called? House house. Oh, uh, the house centipedes. House no, centipedes. those things. I saw a baby one at work. Yeah, a little tiny guy. Yeah, and I. I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him because it's like, well, you'll take care of the spiders for me, I guess. <laughs> but the spiders <sighs> take care of other insects. 
Yeah, but... It's all a hate relationship. It is all a hate relationship. I'm sorry. Well, I, I think some bugs are kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's becoming yeah. a mutual respect kind of thing. Yeah. I actually kind of talk to them when I take them outside. It's like, okay, come on, come on, get on the paper, okay? Now just just balance, balance. Now please leave. What's, Thank you. Goodbye. What about insects do you not like? Um, the eyes, the legs, the exoskeleton, <laughs> um, the fact that they kind of crunch a little bit. I don't, mm, I, I don't know. Bugs are just a little, it, it makes me feel squiggy. Squiggy, yeah. Yeah. It's the jointed legs, I bet. Probably. You know, you know me. I hate those joints. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if humans had four to five joints on their legs. No, no, please. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> a horror movie in the making uh, human centipede <laughs> oh god uh so <laughs> your relationship with nature was tenuous and since we've gone hiking i've noticed a change in your perception towards certain organisms um why don't you tell me a little bit about when you go out hiking now what it's like compared to when you first started i'm kind of curious about that point of comparison Okay, so when it first started, it was kind of like, I just want to go hiking. I don't want to stop. I don't want to have to look around. I just want to get the walk done so I can go back home. Because I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm humid, and I'm very uncomfortable. But nowadays, I can actually slow down and enjoy what's going on. I'm, I'm actually keeping my eyes open, looking to see whatever we're looking for this time because whenever we go out we usually have a mission to try and find <laughs> some new plant though half the time I'm, I'm like hey come look at this one and it's just uh, what is it orange jewel weed or whatever it is Patians, yeah yeah uh, but i mean they're pretty they're gorgeous you're noticing them i'm noticing them and the last time we went out i think i noticed like five to ten different new mushrooms that i've never seen before and the fact that you pointed out that some of them were edible, I was like, wait, you can eat a blue mushroom? I, That's some Alice in Wonderland stuff right there. So I'm noticing more and I'm finding that I'm appreciating stuff more. And I'm taking that into both my day-to-day -day life when I'm, you know, walking around with my coworkers and I'm like, hey, that's nightshade. And even into my subconscious where I, I've woken you up one day and I was like, honey, I just dreamed that I identified a plant. <laughs> Which was so funny to to wake up to hear i was so proud of dream you i was just i woke up and i'm just astonished at myself like did i seriously just dream that so yeah no it, it's definitely changed me and changed the way that i view nature in general us mm -hmm. going on these hikes is there still something um, when we go on hikes that's a big no, no to you that you won't do? Oh, I'm so scared of breaking the rules in these like yeah. woods and these metro parks. It's like you can't do this, you can't do that. And it's like half the time, you know, we we do have to like kind of walk in the brush a little bit to you know really get a good look at these plants. But I just I, I I'm just like can I I'm gonna see how far I can look in here without getting off the path because I'm just so afraid that someone's gonna come in and be like. You can't be doing that. You can't be in there. It's like, I'm sorry. I just want to see a plant. So something that I find is really comforting and relaxing about being out in the woods or um, in a prairie or whatever is that there isn't an inherent rule structure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you shouldn't go and remove 
massive parts of a population. You shouldn't really be removing plants or anything. No, of course not. But there's not like, you know, you can only cross the street at these designated points. Um, you can't loiter. All of these things, all of these rules, all of these human-made constructs and restrictions kind of go away. And as we go along now into the future, I'm hoping that's something that you, you get a little less worried about. And that way you can go gung-ho and adventure into the next um, the next area. Like you see something and just go running after it. Well, okay. But that brings me to my other point of something that I've kind of noticed myself doing more ever since we started going out. I'm more careful of where I'm stepping. Yeah. Like, you can't just go running gung-ho through the forest because right. you don't know what you're going to trample. My and, and you really need to be careful about where you're stepping because you don't want to disrupt these plants as they're in these very delicate stages of their lives. Yeah, that's something that I tell every person I go out hiking with is that watch where you step. You know, you can't you, you have to be scanning around to mm -hmm. look for plants or organisms that you're trying to find, of course, but you have to make sure if you're taking a step, you're not stepping on something. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean you could be stepping on something in the underbrush underneath the um leaf litter. So it gets a little hairy there, but you know, at least being conscious that there might be something growing underneath your feet is something good to to keep mind of and I'm, I'm proud that that's something that you're conscious of well you can't take all the you know credit credit for that no, one i'm not taking the credit i think we had some sort of girl scout event once upon a time and we were in a metro park and we were talking about native americans and how they used to walk through the forest so but that carried with you? That, that kind of did carry with me because it was kind of interesting how they described it because it was like you, you need to take care of the forest mm. because the forest takes care of you. So you said you didn't go out into the woods much. Did your Girl Scout troop not do anything in the woods? I think we had like three events that had to do in a metro park was in it... the, f I think, four years I was involved with it. Was it selling cookies? Actually, no. We were brownies. So oh, were... we sold nuts. We didn't even sell cookies. We sold nuts. Wait, you were brownie? Wait, oh, so you weren't selling brownies? No, no, brownies don't sell brownies. Oh, okay. I or I don't that. know. They might nowadays, but back when I was, back in my day, we sold nuts. So it's kind of like Cub Scout, Eagle Scout. Brownie. Yeah. Okay, okay. Brownies were the itty bitties. Right, okay. All right. So next question that I have for you, babe, is what have you found is your favorite thing about hiking or botanizing what 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 about being out there do you find the most enjoyable hmm. i think the separation from my day-to-day -day life like the the way that the wind comes through the trees and just touches your skin and you're listening to all of these birds and different animals and even insects just chirping away in the trees it's it really is extremely relaxing. Hmm. And especially when the sun hits just right through those trees and it just comes streaming down in those little rays. Yeah. It's much needed after a very hectic week. Yeah, I like to describe it as like a, a scrub on your mind. It's a mental scrub. Kind of washes away the grime and the dirt. Mm -hmm. Kind of resets you. Yeah. 
Mm. Though it does always make me ready for a nap when I get home. Yeah, it tires you out if you've been hiking all day in the sun. I don't think I can go. I can't go long. I can't go for more than, I think, four hours. Four hours is your max? Yeah, before I start being like, okay, can we, like, please go home? (laughs) I I can go for hours and hours and days. Um, Yeah, there were some days that you were going out, like, super early in the morning, and you wouldn't come home until, I think, dinner time. Yeah. When you first started going out. Yeah, I, I have other things to tend to nowadays, so like my job and, um, you know, the podcast and um, Instagram. So I've got a lot of side projects that I have to keep up on. I wish I could go out for weeks and I'll probably plan a camping trip once I get some PTO time um, just to botanize the region. But that's in the future. Don't worry. We'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. So as a foil to that question, what is your least favorite part about hiking? You might have already answered it. Um, <laughs> this is going to make me sound so lazy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just a person who likes to be at home. I, I like being able to, you know, go to the bathroom wherever I want and use toilet paper and, you know, be able to, like, sit down on my couch wait, and wait. just not have to deal with bugs. Go to the bathroom wherever you want? Okay, no, like... Like, there's a bathroom that I can't, whenever I want. There we go. Whenever I want. Right. Because, like, half the time, I I don't really go to the bathroom out in the woods. I'll hold it in until we get home or we go to, like, a rest stop or something. And sometimes the bathrooms that they have at the parks are kind of... Weird? Yeah, they gross. look like you can, like, pick up your kid and just drop them in the toilet and they'll <laughs> just drop to the bottom. Like, I don't want to sit over that. One of those toilets where they reuse um, they reuse human waste as fertilizer for the surrounding areas. So. Which is very, you know, noble, and I appreciate that, but maybe just not my waste. <laughs> maybe just not this time. Not that time. No. So that's your least favorite thing? Not the insects? Not the, not. I did say insects. I, I actually have never had to deal with poison ivy. I've never been stung by a bee. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had a negative reaction to a plant yet, which is so weird because, you know, every time we go out, you're like, hey, you know this, you see this, do not touch it. It will make you not happy. And I'm just like, wait, but I've been, you know, pulling flowers like that for years. Like, but usually that's like Queen Anne's lace. Yeah, a different plant. Different, different plant, but same looking. You've just been lucky so far. I have been. I have been. I'm really scared my luck's going to run out one of these times. Oh, your day's coming. Your hour of reckoning is coming. Okay, but I've never been stung by a bee. So, like, I'm terrified if we ever are, like, out hiking and I get stung by a bee and then we magically find out, oh, no, she's allergic. (laughs) It's like, well, thanks, guys. That was a nice run. So I'm going to take you to a beehive. I'm going to get a honeybee and I'm going to... Hold it on some tweezers and have it sting your arm. Uh, how about no? Well, we'd find out and you wouldn't have to, you know, worry about it. You didn't say you had an EpiPen on you in this situation. Okay, we'll take the bee in a jar. We'll go to the nearest hospital and do it out in their parking lot. You do know that you can do allergy tests without me having to be stung by a bee, right? That's less fun, though. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I wish I they could see your you. face right now. <laughs> All right. So 
I've gotten your favorite thing, your least favorite thing. So from here, I want to pick your brain on what about hiking have you gained a greater appreciation of through hiking, I should say, or what, what have you come to really like and what have you learned? Give me some of the, the top things that you've gained appreciation for and learned, I guess. Okay, well, I think it's kind of interesting that one of the things I've gained the most appreciation for with these hikes is mushrooms, considering I don't like mushrooms, really. I, I don't like to eat them. I've just started to use them in soups because you can, you know, slice them up real thin or you can put them in a broth. But when you go out hiking, especially after it's been raining, like during the week, mm. it's so interesting to see the underbrush because you'll you'll find all these different kinds of mushrooms and they are there are so many different kinds and there are so many different shapes although the little brown guys i don't know i i always get really excited whenever i see them because like hey it's these ones you like the lbms i like it's because i don't know like you, you can identify most of the other ones but the lbms are just like hey hey buddy like, you two are a little less impressive, but still sturdy. I don't know. I connect with them a lot. You connect with the LVMs. I the do. unidentifiable enigmas. I do. But I also really like the, the ones that are, like, white and spindly and kind of, like, hooked. The ones that look like they're, uh, what are they, parasitic? Oh, the ghost pipes? Yeah. No, those aren't mushrooms. Those ones aren't mushrooms? Oh. No. But, there, are... but there are mushrooms that are kind of like those, aren't there? Spindly and white and hooked down. Or just white and scary looking mushrooms? There's a lot of those, Okay. Yeah. There's one, um, I think it's called Angel Cap, that's in this region. Yeah, you've told me about Angel Cap. Yeah, we'll, we'll kill you. Yeah. Stop you dead. Yeah. But the, the, all the mushrooms that come out, and I think you've touched on something very important, is after a rain. Mm -hmm. That's the time to go. When there's a big rain, like two days afterwards... If you want to go mushroom hunting, that's the time to go because they, they're they'll be like everywhere. Yeah, they pop up. And they'll be on the trees, they'll be on the dead trees, they'll be on the underbrush, they'll be literally just you won't be able to walk without stepping on them. They're they're everywhere. Would you go on like a mycology day where there's a whole bunch of mushroom hunters going and picking mushrooms and, and identifying them and putting them out on the table and just, like, showing the diversity? If they wouldn't mind me being a total, you know, not not knowing what I'm talking about, I'm just asking, yeah, like, that's, yeah. That's the whole point of it. They do that so other people, you know, gain more appreciation for these not well-understood organisms. Yeah, I'd love to learn more about them. They're super interesting. I. Although, you know, everyone's always like, mmm, this is so delicious. It's like, eh, well, I just think it looks cool. I just think they're neat. <laughs> I just think they're neat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, if if I see one, I'll have to let you know. And we'll go together and really learn more like about that. mushrooms. I'd really like that. Huh? Well, good. Uh, what, Anything else? Uh, yeah, so um, there was this one plant that you pointed out to me back when we lived in Columbus, just growing in a tree. And I mentioned that I really thought that the flower was beautiful. And when you told me what it was, I was shocked that it was growing where it was. Because it was like growing in a nook of a tree taller than I was. And I'm 5'2", so, you know, I'm just short. So, But it was nightshade. It was, what was it, sweet nightshade? Mm -hmm, bittersweet. Yeah, bittersweet nightshade. And I see it 
everywhere now. Which I think you said it was invasive. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Birds drop their fruits. Yeah. But even with it being invasive, like, I, I think it's a really interesting plant because, honestly, a little bit because of how it's invasive and how invasive it is. Yeah, because it's just everywhere and because it can be everywhere. And if you try and rip it up, you have to rip up everything. Because you and I were trying to get it out of my parents' backyard. Yeah, it's, it spreads pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's beautiful. And I don't know, I, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm a history nerd. I, I, I kind of like the history of nightshade and tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah, Tropa belladonna is, yeah. the, is the nightshade that mm-hmm. historically was used as a poison. Looks a little different. Blackberries. Um, that's the deadly stuff. Yeah. So why don't, why don't you talk to them and me about what you meant about the history of tomatoes. I know the history I'd like to hear you explain it. Okay, so don't don't quote me on anything. Don't cite me in any papers. I will. Um, so when people came over from Europe, uh, they they didn't have tomatoes. They didn't have potatoes. Those were all over here, um, in the Americas. Uh, so what they had experience with, uh, of the same family, uh, was nightshade over in Europe. So when they came over here and they saw the natives eating tomatoes, they were like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're completely crazy. That's going to kill you. And when the, natives, when the natives were trying to, you know, be like, no, you can eat this, they were like, no, that, that'll kill you. And until they finally ate it and they were like, wow, this, this actually doesn't kill us. So, yeah, tomatoes are related to nightshade and they will not kill you, even though tomatoes and the nightshade berries not the nightshade nightshade like lily was saying the ones with the blackberries but the bittersweet nightshade has red berries bright red berries the same color as tomatoes so yeah (laughs) yeah when they brought it back to europe everyone was like no that's definitely going to kill you what do you mean i'm not eating that you have to be crazy it's a fun historical little tidbit I'm glad that you find that so interesting. It kind of melds our interests a little bit. Botanical mm-hmm. history, super cool. Oh, yeah. I, I really like um, the way that old, I don't want to say civilizations, but old, cultures, I guess, the way that they named plants, the common mm. names, because I, I really like it when the plant's common name has something to do with either the way it looks mm. or something that it does to the human body. Mm. And there were some beliefs that uh, the way that a plant looked would affect certain parts of the body because they would be like, oh, that looks like a set of lungs. Mm. That must help your breathing. That nut looks like a brain. It must make you smarter. And like, there's something called cramp root that people put in a tea to help with your cramps if you're menstruating. And... I can say it, it, it did help me in my, you know, with my cramps, so, and it's a delicious tea. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just, I, I like how plants have been used. Like, but that, now, now I say that, that kind of sounds mean. I don't want you to, like, use plants, but, like, use them. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a book you should read called Botany of Desire. Okay. It's all about how humans have used plants for their own benefits and how they've kind of co-evolved. And I think the main example is is of the apple, another um, a rose family member. Mm-hmm. You might you might like that, might not. But there there is a lot of interesting historical cases of of plants shaping civilizations. 
and to tag off of your um, mentioning of common names, stuff like um, self-heal is one that you, you probably like. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually started to notice that one more on the side it's, of the board rocks when we've been walking. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. That mint. Um, also, a, another popular common name, I guess, um, suffix that you see a lot of the time is wort, W-O-R-T. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the German word wurt, W-Y-R-T, which means root. So if you see a plant's common name that has wort at the end, they're describing its roots. So sometimes it might look like a, a heart or it might look like um, fingers or whatever. Okay, so is motherwort supposed to look like your mom? Like every every person who pulls up motherwort, they're going to see their mom in the roots? Or it might just it might be describing a characteristic. <laughs> maybe. maybe Pull out a root and see if it looks like your mom. I'm a little scared to test that theory now. <laughs> Something else I just thought of. Um, I think it's I think it's the plant Silphium. That's a big genus, but there was pretty sure it's Silphium in ancient Rome. They used the Silphium plant. Oh, are we talking about the birth control plant? The birth control aphrodisiac plant. Mm. This was a plant they drove to extinction because they used it so much. Those darn ancestors. Why are you wanting it? I'm just saying, if we had another alternative to birth control, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That would be a good idea. Um, it's hard enough to get people to use birth control. Maybe yeah. if it was a plant tea, that might be a little bit better. So, yeah, they caused um, this sylphium plant to go extinct because everybody was looking for it, um, pulling it out of their environment, and um, eventually they just couldn't find it anymore. It hasn't been seen since. I'm really hoping that we find some, like, old seeds and some vase somewhere, like, buried yeah. underground. And then we can, like, Jurassic Park it to bring back the plants. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be awesome. We've done it before. Yeah, we just did it recently. Which plant? Oh, Okay, man. sorry. Sorry I put you on the spot there. It's okay. I've had to Google stuff for this before. Um, I'll look up ancient plant. Oh, yeah, because that, that, that's going to give you yeah. not a million. The uh, Selene stenophylla. It is that's pretty. native to Siberia. They were revived from 32,000-year-old seeds by Russian scientists, and they were found covered in ice 124 feet below the permafrost. Permafrost. <laughs> and uh, they just regenerated. Oh, my gosh. Regenerated it. In um, glass jars. Silene, what genus? That's a genus. What what family is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. Silene. That does not look right. <laughs> don't you hate it when words just don't look the way that they should? Like the way that you say it, that's not the way that they're spelt. It's your brain. Your brain's... Why does Isle have an A in it? I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, Caryophyllaceae. I think it's in the plant family, Caryophyllaceae. I want to say it is. Kind of looks like it. Look the way the petals are? Yeah, look at the petals. Yeah, I'd say so. Is that one petal connected? Like those two petals? Yeah, I think they're fused. Okay. 
might be a mutation. Who knows? Mm. They are 32,000-year-old seeds. Maybe we have the mutations. What do you mean? Like, if they're that old, they're the originals. Okay, what we have right now might be the actual mutations. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 not the seeds that we have right now. I mean the family we have right now. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, everything's constantly changing their alleles, so I mean, they're going to look a little bit different, probably. Well, yeah. Everything's a mutant? Everything is a mutant. I don't think so. It's just a matter of time before X-Men. I was literally watching that video about the guy who would stick stuff onto his skin. <laughs> Uh, that's a tangent. Why? Why? Why was? Why did they say he was able to stick things on his skin, Cassandra? Um, something either about his blood or he has some rare disease. Like the doctors don't know why. Okay. All right. Well, to steer this ship back on course. No, we're gonna ram it into the rocks. No. <laughs> Last question for you, so you can go back to taking a nap soon. How? Has botanizing and hiking changed your perception of the natural world around you? It's a hard question. I saved it for last. I think I've kind of already answered that. Um, But I guess I just have more of an appreciation for it. I'm less... I, I, I hold it a little closer than, you know, the six feet away. Like, the arm's length. Like, uh, nowadays, when I'm waiting for my bus, even, I take the time to look at the bushes around me. I cheer on the squirrels as they're actually watching the cars go by before they run across the street. Hmm. I'm just, I don't know, I, I feel more like a member of the ecosystem and less of an observer. Oh, yeah. That's a great answer. Thank you. I lied one actual... Oh, you jerk! One last question. Do you have a favorite plant that you've seen in Ohio that you can mm. you can remember right now? It's a hard question because how do you pick a plant, obviously, but do you have one that's a superstar to you that you love seeing each year? Mm. Orange jewelweed is pretty cool, but no, that's not the one I want to say. I guess just violets. Violets? They, they just make me happy. Yeah, spring violets are a thing to behold. Yeah, just, just seeing them in everyone's yard, hmm. just seeing them pop up where you wouldn't expect. They're beautiful little bursts of color that, I don't know, kind of herald spring. Yeah. Good answer. Thank I thought you, you were going to say bloodroot. Bloodroot is freaking cool, but, you know, I'm still having a hard time identifying it myself. But when you pointed out to me, yeah, yeah, no, I, I like Bloodroot. Because did, did you tell them about Bloodroot yet? I haven't talked about Bloodroot. Oh, Would you like to? it's so cool. Okay, so if, if you, like, cut the root, which, you know, be nice be nice to plants. Don't, don't hurt them if you don't have to. But if you cut the root of the Bloodroot, it literally looks like it's bleeding. And I, I, as someone who likes true crime... It's nice to find a blood alternative uh, for your props and stuff like that. Don't don't put that on your props. No, no, but like it, you, you can you can see it and it looks like blood. You know, it looks cool. Just don't touch it. Yeah. 
Do you know what plant family it's in? No. I'll be honest, no. Okay. So it is in the poppy family, Papaveraceae. Okay. And it's that red liquid that comes out when you cut the rhizomes. Mm -hmm. So it's actually stem tissue, not roots. But they're still underground, so they're kind of like roots. Is a latex, Mm -hmm. milky latex like you would get from opium poppies to make opium. So they have similar um, opioid compounds in those roots. Dandelions also have uh, sort of latex in them, don't they? Mm -hmm. A lot of plants produce latex. Yeah. Okay, thanks for letting me ask you a few questions. Yeah, anytime. So I have a game for us to play. I like games. Since I'm interviewing you, I, I kind of like to give my interviews interviewees my uh, my best try at a fun game. <laughs> but they are involving plants, so how fun can they be? Oh, they can be plenty of fun. Uh-huh. So the first... Okay, let me start over. The game's called It's All in the Family. I'm scared. What the premise of this game is, is I'm going to give you five images of plants. Mm-hmm. And they're all going to be of one species. Mm-hmm. And you have to find the species that does not belong to that plant family. Okay. And I'll give you a brief description on identifying characteristics of this family, mm-hmm. by and large. Okay. Ready? Yes. Okay. First plant family is Orchidaceae, the orchid family. Okay. Generally, they have simple entire leaves, meaning that they are kind of just like a whole leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, they are have smooth leaf margins, so it doesn't have any serrations or anything. The leaves are either alternating on the stem or they're basal on the ground. Their flowers are generally almost always bilaterally symmetrical, so you cut it down, uh, up and down, and it folds over. Fun fact, most orchids are presenting their flowers upside down. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I talked to you about that the other (laughs) week. Okay, you ready? Yep. So, the uh, five plants we have here are spiranthes, um, or nodding lady tresses. We have... um, this is the gay orchis. We have the queen's lady slipper. Mm-hmm. We have false Solomon seal. And we have downy snake plantain. Oh, geez. Yes. Um, false Solomon seal. False Solomon seal. That is not an orchidaceae. Yay! Uh, you got one out of five so far. So do you know what plant family false Solomon seal is in? No, I'm sorry. Is, is, it, is it a brassica? No, it's not a brassica. Darn. It's in the asparagus family, asparagaceae. Oh. That's okay. You did, if you got it, you get bonus points. If not, you still got the question right, so... One out of five. Ready for the next family? Hit me with it. Okay. Coming right over your head is Asteraceae. Ooh, I like asters. The largest plant family. Generally, they have compound inflorescences, the um, little florets 
all attached on a single head. Mm -hmm. They have leaves that are generally alternate or opposite, mm -hmm. and they can be lobed a lot of the time, sometimes entire on the leaf margins. Sometimes they can also be dissected, so where they have um, it split up amongst the, the little midrib. So like the she loves me, she loves me not? Or... Uh, it's like where their leaves kind of um, have gaps amongst okay. the little bits on oh, the leaf. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, so we have Finn Indian plantain, great blue lobelia, pussy toes, false sunflower, and coreopsis. Okay, I feel like this is going to be one of those like tricky ones. Like like <laughs> this this is this is you trying to mess with me. Yeah, just look at look at them and uh, use those identifying features to suss out which one's not part of the family. Because of the way that the leaves are, I want to say the last one. You want to say the last one? Yeah. So coreopsis. Coreopsis. Coreopsis is in the plant family Asteraceae. It. It's okay. Okay. So you can have a second guess. Yeah, you can have a second guess. Okay. Hmm. These guys. The great blue lobelia? Yeah. You are correct. Darn. <laughs> Can you tell me what plant family they are in? Lobelial? <laughs> Campanulaceae. It's, so, it's like the campanulas that we were looking at before? Mm -hmm. And the cardinal flowers. Mm -hmm. So those are related to asters. They are in the aster order, but not oh, the family. Oh, okay. So they diverged a while back. The rest are asters. I was really thinking that because that one looks more like grass or like sedge for the leaves. Yeah, they have really, really thin leaves. That's why they're called lance-leaved coreopsis. Oh, lances. Yeah. That's okay. You got one out of five so far. We're going on to the next plant family. The third largest, the Baceae, the pea family. Ooh, I love peas. Mm-hmm. They're don't, so pretty. You don't like eating them, though. No. Well, I mean, it depends on how they're made. But the pea flower, pea flowers are beautiful. Correct. They are also bilaterally symmetrical flowers. <laughs> and a key identifying feature is their keel, the special um, special petals that form the frontmost part that separate where their um, sex organs are. Their leaves are also generally trifoliate, mm -hmm. meaning they have like the three leaves. Mm -hmm. Pinnate, which is like a leaf that um, divides itself into little mini leaves. Okay. Or compound leaves. So here we go. We have a seaside um, plant. We have... Um, is, is, that, is that a scientific name? Yes. A seaside plant. Seaside plant. We have Circus canadensis. Somehow I remember its genus species name, not its common name. Um, yeah. <laughs> we have the black locust. We have the long spurred violet. And then we have the hog peanut. Freaking hated hog peanut. I'm sorry, but we were looking for this dang orchid the entire time. And all I kept finding was hog peanut. <laughs> it's dramatic. Um, so. I didn't know that trees could be part of this family oh so are they i don't think so so is it the locust is it the locust okay out of those five the locust and is in the pea family ah fudge 
Okay. Okay. So is it this one right below it? The long spurred violet. Yeah. Because I looked at the leaves and that's what made me like actually second guess myself because they're not in the threes. For the violets? Yeah. Yep. They are in the plant family violaceae. Ah, darn it. It's okay. They, uh, when you mentioned you love violets, I was like, oh, well. No, I don't know what, what family they're in. No, you're, I'm a fake fan. You're going you're gonna to get to see them soon. So that's okay. You're learning, though. That's the important part. Failure, as I've talked about earlier in this podcast, is important, and it lets you learn more than you originally would if you were right. Actually, yeah. It reinforces the correct information. Okay, so we got through the um, <laughs> easy questions. No! Don't do this to me, you jerk. I've saved two plant families that are unfamiliar to you. I mean, all of them are, but okay, go at it. <laughs> the most unfamiliar. The next one is Orobanchaceae, formerly a part of Scrofulariaceae. I wish that they could see my confusion right now. <laughs> it is a notorious plant family of parasitic plants. Ooh, I like parasitic plants. They are identifying features of these generally fucking weird. They have spirally arranged leaves. They can be lobed or absent completely. Sometimes they are white and have no chlorophyll. Mm -hmm. The flowers are spirally arranged, bilateral, bisexual flowers. Hey. Hey. So here we have American Cancer Root, Ghost Pipes, Wood Betony, um, Lance, Lance Leave Pedicularis, and um, unfortunate name for this guy, um, I will just call him Castalasia. Okay. I'm up for Castalasia. Um, Not going to say the common name. Yeah. Mm, yeah. They are all freaking weird looking. Yeah. So use those identifying characteristics. It's the Castalasia. Why do you say that? Because the flowers are, I mean, I guess each individual flower, I guess, could be bisexual. But you can't just go, like, right down the plant and have it be bisexual. But, um, could be the one above it. See, I keep losing, so I don't know anymore. It's okay. Okay, I'm going to go with the one above Castalasia, actually. You're going for the lance leaf particularis. Yes. That is in the plant family Orobanchaceae. Damn it. Spirally arranged flowers, spirally arranged leaves. Was it the Castalasia? Castalasia is also an Orobanchaceae. Okay, who is not? The ghost pipes. What? Yeah, they are parasitic. They yeah, are... I know that. <laughs> they are white. I threw them in there. As you a... said that they didn't need to have leaves. Yeah, neither is the American Cancer. I know. That was mean. I put them next you to You are mean. <laughs> So the ghost pipes are actually in the plant family Ericaceae, which is the blueberry family. I think that that's very interesting. They actually have a decent number of parasitic plants, which is kind of weird. Mm, no wonder blueberries make me so sick if I eat too many of them. <laughs> Does it? I mean, if you eat too much of anything, it'll make you sick. I don't think that's because they are part of a family that yeah, has Yeah, no, I don't think so at all. I was just making that up. Okay. Well, you you have one right so far. 
Wow, I'm so passing right now. The wife of a botanist, so... My mother would be so proud of me. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Last plant family. Saxifragaceae. Mmm. The saxifrages. There's actually uh, a, quite a few of these that are in a lot of people's gardens. Okay. You might recognize them. You might not. The leaves generally grow um, in a basal rosette, so that's where they're all on the ground and kind of spiral. Mm -hmm. um, or they're alternate on the stem. Mm -hmm. They generally have two leaf margins, so mm -hmm. it looks kind of like serrations. Yeah. The flowers are often imperfect, meaning they're missing one of the key f uh, four floral whorls. And uh, if they have petals, there's generally five. Okay. So... Last one, be careful. We have wood anemone. We have bishop's cap. We have foam flower. We have uh, eucheria. That's what I know it as. And then we also have, um, I think it's called swamp eucheria. Or swamp, yeah, swamp eucheria. Swamp eucheria doesn't have the serrated leaf. Yeah, I'm going to go with the swamp one. You're going with the swamp one? I'm going with the swamp one. Okay. That is in the plant family saxophrages. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. Well, it's the last one, so it was the wood anemone. Oh. And that is, I believe, in the plant family ranunculaceae, I want to say. Well, let's see if I end up being the worst person on your podcast ever. No, you wouldn't be the worst. You couldn't be the worst. In terms of uh, getting questions right on the game, you might be, but... Yeah, at, at least with that. I'm, we'll see whoever else gets on here. Well, thank you for playing with me. Thanks. Um, thank you for whooping my butt. I didn't mean to whoop your butt. But thanks for being here. Thanks for being my wife. And thanks for going on hikes with me. I really appreciate it. Anytime, babe. All right, that's, uh, yeah, that's all I have for you. I uh, hope you learned something. If not, maybe you'll learn it next time. Failure is important. Get out, look for plants, misidentify things. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't put it in your mouth. Come with me and you'll be... In a world of plant imagination.